What's going on, everyone? And welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I'm Jordan Palmer, joined, as always, by Charlie Budd. And today we're asking the age-old question, who is coming to dinner? (laughs) That's right. Everyone's favorite icebreaker question of what three figures from history would you invite to dinner is being answered today. However, we're having two separate dinners, one with only people who are living and one with people who are only dead. Charlie and I have agreed to go one for one in terms of our picks. So with that, bud, you're up first. Whatcha, or rather, Kuya got? <laughs> <clears throat> so who are we uh, starting with? Are we starting with alive or dead? Let's go alive. Let's, or do, do we want to end on a pot? Yeah, let's go live. Let's go live. Let's go live. <laughs> Ending on a positive. Um, yeah. <laughs> alive. Hmm. Ooh, alive. Uh, well, Palmer. This might be controversial. Oh, hot take? Paul Thomas oh. Anderson. <laughs> oh my gosh, Charlie. I freaking knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say it. And I was like, ah, just prepare yourself. But you caught me. You caught me my pants down there, dude. I, uh, wow. Wow. Yep. Wow. Charlie, yep. I, I mean, I know why. But tell the people, why is PTA the first person you decide to invite to your dinner? Well, I love his work. I'm a fan. I'm a PTA head. And, no, I uh, I don't know. I just, I, it is more that I really, really enjoy his work. And I want to just like, he is such an interesting filmmaker to me uh, because he is somebody who just, uh, he writes like, I remember when he was writing Licorice Pizza that he said he wrote like a 600 page script. And that he had to like, you know, cut all that down to uh, like 200 odd pages or whatever. Or how, not even that, because I don't think the movie was that long. 200 pages would be a pretty long movie. Um, it felt that long. It felt that long. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm just like, I'm really curious about like how his process is. Like, I would like, I just, I don't know. I'm sitting down eating dinner with Paul Thomas Anderson. I would want to pick his brain from like everything from the, from his Boogie Nights days to his there will be blood days to the phantom thread like i always i'm curious how he always picks his projects or like what he wants to write about because to me it doesn't ever seem like he writes in like a modern time he always tends to write like period pieces i i think i actually don't know because i haven't seen the master like when that takes place um (laughs) the master (laughs) yeah but i am very very curious like just kind of his whole entire process from writing to editing his uh, work to uh, casting decisions to just the subject matter, the material, what he's going for, what like he tosses out like the entire shebang. And he's just been on my mind lately because I don't know, Licorice Pizza was a great movie and there will be blood. I still is still my number one movie in the past like 20 years. So Oh, yeah. I love how you just casually slipped in. Licorice Pizza is a great movie. When did you first like discover PTA? Was it when you were still in high school or was it before that? It was high school. I think one of my I think my first movie that I watched of his um was There Will Be Blood when I was in high school. So uh and uh was that in high school? Could have been early college as well. So it was okay. like around then. Um <clears throat> And then I started watching all of his other movies. I went to like Boogie Nights and um, then Phantom Thread came out. So like, well, Phantom Thread came out pretty 
late. I think I was like a senior in college when Fan Thread came out. I think out. it was 2017. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to even think like, oh, Punch Drunk Club. I watched that at a young age, but I didn't think yeah. I realized that was Paul Thomas Anderson. So mm, um, Was it the Adam Sandler that threw you off? Wasn't the Adam Sandler that threw me off? Because like I think at the time when I watched Punch Punch Drunk Love, I was like, Adam Sandler's all right. He's good. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but he's definitely somebody I would want to talk to who's live right now. But who would you? Who's the number one person you want to talk to live right now? Or not the necessarily uh, the number one person, but who is in your top three? All right, in my top three, I, it's not necessarily number. I don't know if I have like a number for them, but neither do I. My f- my first invite would be none other than Mr. David Blaine, the card magician oh, slash, I guess, exhibitionist is the best way to say what he does also. Because he does a number of just kind of like it's challenges. One. It's definitely a good yes, one. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I'll just say for me. Um, so I've, I've known about David Blaine for several years. It's funny. I've always been into like magic i thought it was super cool mm-hmm. and uh i used to watch mind freak with chris angel and i was like how does he do that and oh, yeah. say whatever chris you want angel. about chris angel yeah i know everybody laughs but chris angel's cool to me but um david cool. blaine was kind of that like uh punk street magic kind of hey you want to see a trick and i'm not going to show any emotion and i'm gonna mm-hmm. blow your mind that is david blaine and so it was weird i guess i've always been into him and uh over the course of the pandemic <laughs> Early on, especially, I just kept getting recommended those videos of his like old, his old stuff on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I was just like, you know, f it, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna take the plunge. I'm not seeing people right now, so I'm gonna learn some card match. I know I mentioned it before on the the, the podcast, mm-hmm. and so I just kind of got into that, and it's amazing because magic is something that the better you are at it, the more natural it looks, and you can't tell, but. You can know how a trick works, but just the level of mastery it requires to pull it off is, I mean, it takes years and years and years. And there are things that I'm still working on that I've been working on for like the last two years and I'm still not even close. And so just seeing him do certain things, they say he can take a deck, cut cut it to whatever and tell you what card he cut to in terms of like of the 52. And he can just do other things like that. So it's really fascinating in that regard. And he also has applied that same kind of mentality to other extreme events. He did Frozen in Time where he was literally in a block of ice. I, I do. I remember that. Yeah. In, oh, in your neck stuff. of the woods. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what is it? Uh, Times Square for like 72 hours. And everybody thought it wasn't like him. And then he, he's done the breath holds. He recently, most recently did Ascension where he was just going up holding these balloons. I saw that. That was so wild. He put that on YouTube, right? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I was definitely watching the live feed, and I uh, had to pull Like I was driving, and I put it down, obviously, so I could focus on the road. Um, but then I heard them say, oh, he's getting ready to hit 25,000, so I had to like pull over and watch it. But dude, <laughs> wild stuff. So I would love to sit down and talk to him about kind of – I know kind of how he got it started, but – where he went from from there, how he really got into it, and then just kind of see what he's he's planning on doing next, and you'd probably be mind blown by some of the tricks he pulls out too. So that'd be awesome. Yeah, would you say he's like a big inspiration for why you like are into magic these days? Or do you aspire to be like David Blaine one day? I do, I do, and I do like some of the chat. Like, I actually the crazy thing is so i was listening to this ted talk about his breath holding mm-hmm. and i kid you not my record was maybe two minutes and i've only done only tried it just after i finished that but i got it up to like 335 just because just by listening to that 
That's so wild. Wait, I need to. I'm, what does he do? I'm so curious. Oh, so it's interesting. It's a process of oxygenating your blood. So you have to breathe in and like breathe like. So you're clearing out. I think it's like the carbon dioxide. You're really just oxygenating your blood. You need to breathe in and then just lock. You can't be moving. You have to stay stationary. It's best to just kind of relax and know that there's a sensation of that panic that you want to release, but just keep riding through. Dude, you'll feel that terrifying. convulsion of your. Yeah, dude, it is scary, but you'll feel the convulsion of your diaphragm. And they say the best, like the best breath holders, they can just, they'll have so many of those and just keep pushing through it. So most people will stop at around four or five. Like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. But those people can just, they've I, mentally figured out how to push past it. I'm curious, like, how, is that like safe? Like, is there a level <laughs> where that goes too far and like doctors would be like, you probably shouldn't do that. He's his record is 17 minutes. He actually used to have the the world record. 17 yeah, yeah. And so he um, there's like ways you can do it. He just I think did it naturally and then just hopped into the the thing. But he said in his preparation he wanted to set the world record. Like he wanted to be able to hold his breath for a long time. And so he's looking into all of these back end magic tricks slash hacks in order to do it. So they recommended just putting like a re a rebreather or something in his down his throat. And he showed the video of them trying to figure that out. And he was like, no, that's not going to work. So he eventually asked the question of why don't I actually just try to learn how to do it naturally. So when he was training, he would wake up in the morning, he would ox like oxygen and they do the breathing thing. And then he would just stop. And then he'd hold his breath as long as he could. And then he'd, uh, exhale, do the, you know, catch his breath for a second for a minute. I think he said, do the breathing again and then go back in. So he said in an hour when he first woke up, he breathed like really about six for six minutes. And he said he had the worst migraines during that time, but it really helped him in terms of just getting used to it. So it's wild stuff. But I mean, just for me, that thing about pushing past our physical limits is so fascinating. It is very, I mean, definitely fascinating. Yeah, I yeah. I need to watch this TED talk about um Do it, it do yeah. it. So it's what's on it YouTube. Called? Uh, it's something about David Blaine, how I learned to hold my breath for 17 minutes right. or something. I'm like sure that. if I just type in TED Talk David Blaine breath, and it'll probably Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be there. You'll probably be come there. up. So Absolutely. Okay. okay. Oh, man. So with that, I guess Bud, who who you got coming number two? All right. So still keeping with the you know, the alive crowd or do we want to alternate oh we can keep with the alive the alive crowd for now living. <laughs> um so alive crowd eh? Alive. uh you know i've been debating back and forth about who would be in my like alive crowd and i think this one it's not because i particularly i don't know uh -oh, I, I, dare I say, like I don't, I, I don't really like the, this person. Okay. Um, but I would want to talk to them and just almost kind of like have a chance to uh, interview them in a sense, like press them on all their stuff. Uh, I feel and that like is I know who you're gonna say. Uh, you probably do. Maybe you do. Uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there yeah. you go. There you go. Elon um, Musk. Especially recently because I uh I I'm not a fan of Elon Musk. Uh I used to be, but then you just kind of like you do you read more about him. 
and then read more about his companies and the history of his companies and that kind of goes away <laughs> very quickly uh he is very much like a thomas edison rather than a nikola tesla tesla um, hot take, hot but take. I would still want to talk to him because he is a very interesting, just human being. And I like, I don't know if you haven't heard today, he is now on the, uh, board of directors, uh, uh for Twitter. Yep. What a nightmare that's going to be. Um, because dude, right, it so. shot up. It's valuation increased. I think like twenty five percent today. I know, I know. <laughs> you look like you're in so much pain. Right now. I am in a lot of pain. But uh, the biggest thing that I want to talk to him about is just like I don't think <laughs> I would want to question him on like why he thinks uh, so many different things. Like, why do you think that your world needs to revolve around cars? Is it because you own an auto? It, obviously, it's because you own a freaking car company. And, like, I would just want to ask him, like, why, you know, you, you're you such a, you're a walking contradiction. Like, you know, uh, you say that you hate, like, you know, taxes, screw taxes, you put your entire company. It's like, it's just the government coming for you, wherever, whatever. And then your entire companies, most of them, like Solar City, SpaceX, Tesla are all companies built on government subsidies uh, that, like, you literally got billions for. Your company was solvent and or insolvent. Uh, I don't know um, when for Tesla, and then the government came and bailed you out, and then you move out of the state that you promised to build up because they gave you five billion dollars, and then you move your entire company to Texas because you don't like the taxes of California. Oh, and then you have like ridiculous work, uh, hostile work environments, and like all this other stuff. So I would want to press him on a lot of that stuff. Show his fans the freaking Elon stands, the Elon simps. I haven't come up with a clever name for them yet, uh, but it's coming. It's definitely coming the elonites who knows like the, <laughs> um the musk cells maybe that's a play on incels and oh. musks i don't know <laughs> um but i don't know it's he's just a very interesting human and i want to just like pick his brain about like why he's wired the way he's wired but that's just me and i don't you know it's probably a very unexpected kind of response to these typical questions usually people i think respond to them with people they like are fans of or want to enjoy the company of but i threw a little curveball if you will ah yes and i trying to catch it okay i think i got it oh I, <laughs> um, I was gonna say so i've heard that he's been interviewed and he says, people ask, you know, what's it like to be you with all these ideas? And he says, you wouldn't want to be me because there's just such a weight in terms of those ideas. How, how, how do you feel about that kind of? Uh, He's not. What ideas? He didn't f create electric cars. They were a technology long before him. And he's not a founder of Tesla, even though he likes to put it on his plaque. He's a co-founder. He bought himself into the company. Uh, same thing, Sp SpaceX. Why do people think that Starlink is revolutionary? Why do people think oh. that? It's satellite internet. We had that in the 90s <laughs> or the 80s or not the 80s, sorry, like early 2000s. That was like the standard 
other than dial up. Like the Musk sellers would be like, you just don't understand. You don't understand. <laughs> like I saw someone on Twitter saying that like Starlink is truly innovation. I'm like, is it? Because it has lower than the national average speeds of compared to most internets. It is more expensive than most internets. And sure, it could technically theoretically provide internet to anywhere in the world, but you could also do the same thing if these companies like uh, Verizon and I, any ISP companies, because they're all scum and they're all evil. But like if the government, if the government did, you know, enforced any type of broadband expansionism towards like these rural, hard to reach areas, which is what Starlink's target customer base is who also can't afford it, mind you, and is also completely, the performance of Starlink changes based on the weather because satellite technology, and the only innovation that Starlink really is is that it uses low orbit satellites to bring about faster speeds, which by the way, are still below the national average. And it could be a good, uh, you know, like, Definitely, like, there are, and like, ISP companies are evil for this main reason is that they, like, you know, they don't provide high speeds to, you know, uh, you know, communities that, like, minor, minority communities. Like, it is, there's well documented proof that they don't do that. And it's terrible that they don't. Um, and the Starlink could be good for them. But then again, it's also very expensive. It's like a $500 installation cost. Yeah. And then, Yikes. um, uh, all these other things. So like, I just don't understand like why he thinks like in Starlink, he Musk has admitted himself that it is only just a financial or a ploy, a patch on like a, whatever the word is to just get people to fund SpaceX inadvertently because he's trying to get the main objective to Mars and he just needs a revenue stream. So he created this internet, not to mention that it like so many like uh, astro physicists and astronomers are like, are kind of calling him out because he's, pumping 90,000 satellites in the earth orbit. Like, come on. Like that's just pull, you know, it's cluttering the sky. Yeah. That. And it's not, it's not innovation. We should just have the government ex like use those government subsidies, which by the way, SpaceX benefits from it's the privatization of NASA. It's not innovative. It is just, you need, to just instead of subsidizing SpaceX with government money, take that money and use it to expand broadband to rural areas, to disenfranchised communities. So, you know, we don't have to rely on some billionaire pumping 90,000 satellites into space. I'm ranting too much about Elon Musk. <laughs> no, you are good. You are good. I'm here for it. You're teaching me some new things there. So it's just, it's just dumb. But I don't know. I would. I have so many questions for him, and he's the richest man <laughs> in the world right now. And he's going on to. He's he literally got mad that Twitter like censored him on Twitter, and so he bought into the company to be the majority shareholder. Like that is that is literally fuck you money right there. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. He's like, oh, I got something for you all. And Twitter. by the way, he's not a free speech absolutist like many of his stands like to say he is. He fired somebody from his company when they when they when that employee posted something on YouTube that he didn't like, he blacklisted journalists who gave him a who gave him poor reviews on his products. He is somebody 
who is literally against free speech in pretty much every aspect of it. And I don't think anybody who says they're free speech absolutists truly understand what free speech is. And that is my, that is where I'm leaving it. Anyways, Palmer, well, let's get to your second person. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson would be sitting in the corner like, what did I agree <laughs> to come to? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, <laughs> but I guess for me, Pick number two, keeping in the theme of David's. So David Blaine was my first pick. My second pick would be, and I think I've mentioned him before as well, um, David Goggins, who I don't know if you remember, he is mm-hmm. a Navy, uh, former Navy SEAL slash an ultra marathoner. And so he has a really good book out. He's not paying me to say this, but I will say it. It's called Can't Hurt Me. If you don't like swearing a lot, then get the clean version. That's the one I got, but I didn't realize it was the clean version. <laughs> but essentially, it, it details his life. And he's a guy who comes from super humble beginnings. He was kind of, he was in a household with his brother and his mom and his dad. And his dad was abusive, so he and his mom got out. And so he was on this path that was honestly a path of mediocrity. He looked up. He had a lot of trouble in school because he wanted to be cool, didn't really... Uh, go for it. He didn't go to school. He wanted to be in the military, but he failed out because of some, he basically took the easy way out. He had some kind of condition and it allowed him to get out of this one training and he couldn't move forward because of that. And so he looked up and he was, I think he was in his either mid twenties or early thirties. And he was an exterminator. He was an exterminator who would go into restaurants and he said, I would just, you know, spray, collect up all the things that got caught in traps and just keep it moving and uh he said he hit the mother load of cockroach dens or whatever and he said this is it i can't keep doing this anymore and so he had seen on tv they used to have this special that came on about navy seal training Mm -hmm. and buds which is called buds and hell week which is essentially just this week in, in between trying to you know starting trying to be a seal and to graduation and it's they say the hardest one of the hardest things you can do physically Everybody they have a bell that you ring if you give up. And so I don't want to like ruin kind of because there's so many unique details in there. But essentially, he just documents his whole journey. And it's it's so fascinating. And as I mentioned with David Blaine, it's that idea that we can overcome our, our physical limitations. So, so David Goggins is the embodiment of that. He's, as I said, an ultra marathoner. He's run, you know, a couple hundreds of miles and one thing, you know, kept running through the night. He does this thing every year. It's called the four by four by 48. So it's four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So I guess eventually he'll run 48 miles and he just tries to push people to be, be their best. And he's the one who I told you before said his fear is that when he dies and he goes up to heaven, somebody will say, you know, this was all the stuff that you could have achieved in life, but because you wanted to take the easy way out and you didn't want to work, you didn't, you didn't do it. So he's trying to you know, put in more work so they have to keep putting things down on that. So I, I love that and I love the mentality. So what would you hope to gain out of your conversation with them? You described a lot about like who he is and what he kind of stands for. Why specifically do you want to talk to him though? Oh man, I just, I know that there's this level right in your mind. It's the, I guess the bedrock. So it's just, you can push yourself, which is great. And you'll eventually, you know, be much further along the line than you were, but there's just that, level of just I don't even know how to describe it it's not inachievable but it's it's on the line of you know immortality like so if you can just get past that and so he seems to really have done that in terms of he'll push himself and it's just 
also being able to shut out all the things that are happening around you. You know, so much is going on with your friends on social media and everything. And obviously you want to stay connected, but sometimes you got to lock in on the things that you want to do so that you can achieve it. And you have to sacrifice, but it's, I think, finding a way to accept that sacrifice and knowing what it means and accept the sacrifice happily so that you can then push yourself to achieve what it is that you're actually meant to achieve. So that's what I really want to get a sense for because that's not easy. It's not a path everybody can walk down, but I'm just curious how he how he did it. Wow. I'm sure like the SEALs, I mean like the fact of the matter is that the SEALs probably instilled a lot of discipline in him if he became a SEAL, but it sounds like he almost kind of had that beforehand. So I am curious yes. to know I'm also now curious to know how like his discipline kind of I guess uh I'm blanking on the word personality <laughs> his like, his very disciplined uh-huh. personality changed from before and after the seals. Yes. And like yes. you know what he learned from them and how that has affected his life since then. Um but yeah, becoming a seal is a wild wild thing. Hell week, yeah. I've heard about it, that you get like one hour of sleep a night yep. or something. Yep. Absolutely. Sounds miserable. And Yeah, and he it's crazy too because sometimes I'll be working out, I won't feel like working out, and he always posts videos just about every day. And he says, just know that if you don't feel like working out one day and you get after it, I'm probably out there working out with you too. So just knowing like right now, he's probably working out right now. So it's just enough to inspire you to get up off the couch and just go out there and do it. But like you said, you have to have a very specific type of personality and that's what they say only a few can bear the trident which i think is their their logo so yeah wild stuff no funny thing about like motivation to like do something is that uh when i was starting my python course i you know one of the things that uh they give you like this 35 page like little like pamphlet about like the like the class and how to you know constantly improve and work on your coding skills is like one of the things that they had brought up is um, our minds work in the way that you need to set it to a task because we're really bad at switching or swapping tasks. Uh, so basically, if you come home and say, well, I will practice or work out or, you know, practice coding, uh, but I'm going to watch, you know, maybe I'll just watch TV for like five minutes. Well, there you go. There's the night. It's gone. The odds of you swapping that task from, you know, watching tv to going to work out or uh to you know practice coding like is very low because humans just traditionally are just not good at uh, swapping a task you need to set yourself say like right when i get home i need to do this otherwise it's just not going to get done or right when i wake up i need to do this or otherwise it's just not going to get done so i just thought it was really really interesting to kind of like tell yourself like the day before is like okay at 8 a.m i need to go to the gym and then when i get home at like 10 i need to practice like coding or something for like an hour and then you know you do your go through your day uh and then like then you can go like okay once all this is done when i wanted to get the two or three things done then i can just relax then i can watch tv then i can read a book watch a movie whatever so Thought it was interesting. Yeah, that's a good point, dude. I actually, when I first started working, I work out every day, mm-hmm. but I would wait after till after work. I'd go home, I'd sit down, change, and for the first probably week, I was like, "Man, I'm just so tired. I can't do it." I realized I had to just go straight to to the workout from work because mm-hmm. the second you sit down, it's over. You have to, you know, while you have the momentum. I know, and I I I have to work out in the morning. The biggest because I just can't. If I have to work. 
like I just I will not. I just know myself too well. I'm just not going to do it after work. Uh, so the biggest challenge for me is just getting up early enough and not feeling like like because you know when you're waking up in the morning, the biggest challenge is like fighting off your inner self saying, "Well, you could just stay in bed today and you can go tomorrow." Um, so the biggest challenge is being like, "Got to get out of bed." And just go because otherwise it's, you're just going to always constantly put it off. And like the, one of the things I tell myself is like, no, like, and the worst thing is like, I want to make sure I wake up at this time so I can get home by this time. But nowadays I'm just like, what I'm starting to do is like you, doesn't matter what time you get up, you're going to be home late. You'll be late for work if you get up later because you're going to the gym regardless of what time you wake up. So no, the human mind is, it's great because it can figure out how to cope and mm-hmm. it can plan, but it also can be super soft and, oh, you don't have to do it today or you can figure out, you can make it up on the back end and you can't let it do that or yeah. else it's over. You can't. So definitely good choice. Good choice. Mom. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bud. Who, who's your number three? <sighs> number three. I didn't want to do another movie director because that's who I did have picked. Um, and someone else in the film industry as well. And I felt like I was doing too much film industry people, but because now I like want to change it at like the last second, but I can't think of anyone to change it to because uh, I'm just drawing a blank. But because uh, I feel like it's the same reason I would want to talk to like PTA. It's like another like kind of picking the brain thing. So I. Well, it was going to be Denis Villeneuve. So oh, I, dude, that's yeah. not a bad choice. Yeah. Talk about it. Talk about it. It's um, a little different from... Well, yeah, a little different from PTA. Because I guess they have very like distinct styles. And the reason I would want to talk to Denis Villeneuve is because I'm a huge fan of science fiction. And he has kind of become the uh, the science fiction director in the last like seven years. Um, you know, from basically since, I guess arrival so like five years um he did arrival then he did late runner 2049 and then he did dune uh, and he's gonna do dune part two um and because i'm such a big fan of sci-fi and i know he's a big fan of sci-fi i think this wouldn't be really something that we would like like a learning conversation although i would want to learn a lot about him i just feel like it'd be fun to just talk shop basically about like science fiction and uh like especially like dune and kind of his ideas for it and uh you know what he wants to do later in life after he does dune because i felt like he's always talking about in interviews how he worked himself up to a movie like dune you know but i'm curious like what do you want to do after dune like i would love to see like an original science fiction movie let's bring sci-fi back to the forefront it's enough of the fantasy. I'm tired of the fantasy, okay? Like it's everywhere. Middle age fantasy is just it's 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 so much, you know? It, it's everywhere. Like everybody's doing a show like that. We got a new Lord of the Rings show. And then if it's not that, it's a Star Wars something. So I wanna see an original, like science fiction story that nobody's really done. And that has definitely more of like leans towards Blade Runner. And by that, I mean, it's like definitely has like that darker tone to it. I want a little bit more like adult serious uh, like topics to be explored uh, rather than like, you know, Star Wars. Oh, my God, I'm so special because I'm not a 
I don't know. I'm a Skywalker secretly. Like I'm a Jedi. Like oh my god, it's just an action adventure story. That's all it is. <laughs> but I am curious of his of his films. Which would you want to talk to him most about? Uh, Blade Runner probably. Interest. That's the one I haven't seen. I yeah. literally own it and I have not seen it. Oh, you have to uh, see Twenty Forty Nine, dude. I love that movie. It's so good. And um, Roger Deakins did the cinematography for it, and he's a master with the camera. Uh, and I would probably want to talk to him the most about Blade Runner Twenty Forty Nine because that must have been a tremendous challenge to the fans, like the cult classic film, to kind of like approach come into that. A sphere and i want to know how kind of he like approached it uh you know like it must have not have been easy because he i don't i think he even said once that he didn't want to do a blade runner he didn't feel like he you know could do it justice due to the talent and i arguably would say that the sequel was better than the original um like i, I was enjoyed, gonna ask yeah, i really I enjoyed ask. the second blade runner and i do love the first blade runner trust me i, I do um, but this 2049 was very, very good and it definitely holds up. It's almost kind of like a standalone movie just set in the Blade Runner universe, um, which is great. It's like what you wanted. It is like the perfect sequel to me. So, or as close as you can get to a perfect sequel. And I would, yeah, I would really want to talk to him a lot about, uh, you know, kind of what he was thinking when he kind of accepted that project from Ridley Scott. <laughs> so, um, dude. I wait. Was that? I think they had to talk him into. If I if I remember correctly, I think they had to talk him into that. Yeah, or, actually, that was a rival. That was a rival for sure. Oh, they had to talk him into a rival. So the way it worked, I heard, was that essentially, essentially, the writer the of like the original story mm-hmm. was they wanted somebody they wanted to need, so they said you meet with the need. And so he met with them. They said they grabbed coffee. I think they talked for like an hour and a half, two hours, and he thought it went really well. And so Denise's like, okay, cool. And didn't say, I'm going to do anything. And yeah. So they go away. And he says, oh, we should talk again. So they go, they talk. I think it lasts another two hours. I think we're really well. But still nothing. So finally, I think on the third time, they go, they talk. And Denise says, okay, now we are married. And so uh, he said, I'm taking it on. And so then they were, they were in it. Like, wow. uh, so that was, yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I, I remember for at least Blade Runner that I think when he read the script, he's like, oh, I have to do this. Like, I think uh, that's that was nice. what I think that's what it was, and I think even Harrison Ford was like also kind of in the same boat. Where it's like once he read the script, he's like, "Nope, I have to do this movie now." Um, if you can get Harrison Ford to do something, then yeah. you probably got a pretty compelling script. There. Which is wild that Harrison Ford has literally, in his age, redone every role that he was famous for in the eighties: Blade Runner, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. Dude, oh my gosh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Wow, he's reprised every role. That he was famous for. And every one of those movies that he was in also got like a modern sequel like years later. Yeah. That is that pretty is wild. Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shows you how like influential those movies were. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. I have a question in terms of if given the choice, let's just say during dinner, mm-hmm. you had PTA and you had Denis Villeneuve. And they both said, oh, I got a, an opening for, you know, a personal assistant from to me directly. But you find out that, uh-oh, unfortunately, they're filming at the same time and you can only choose one to work with. Who are you choosing, bud? It would honestly depend on the project, honestly. 
look at this guy. He yeah. said, well, what's, let me read the script first. Let me, let me read the script first, and uh, then I would decide. Because personally, if, like, see, PTA does a lot of, like, period pieces. I don't really know. Like, he can be anywhere on the map. Like, the day that PTA directs a science fiction movie, I would literally drop dead. Because I don't, like, one, I don't think it's going to ever happen. And two, I would love to see it. Um, but... Uh, three, if Denis Villeneuve was doing like a sci-fi film, I'd have to. If especially if it was like an original science fiction movie that kind of like explores like adult darker themes, then I would hundred percent be on board with that movie. Um, and I would need to go to that because I wanted to. I want to see it. I want to see how it, it all unfolds. Um, but PTA would probably have more like uh, I don't know character driven like it would probably be very like uh practical like well, the science fiction movies are probably gonna have a lot of effects so you know you're probably not gonna be seeing too much <laughs> you know what i mean um or in the pta movie you down. might get like a more practical sense of like a traditional film uh so it would be a tough choice it would be a tough choice you don't have to really depend on the project but i would love to see them both work just like sitting there just like just watch them do their thing so Oh man, it's, it's it would be a good problem to have. It'd be a good problem. Definitely, to have. definitely. All right, bomber. Who do you got? All right, number three. And honestly, the way I think it's it's turning out, if you want to save the dead people for uh, another episode and just keep talking about the living, I think that could we could do that. We could, that uh, could work. We could do that for sure. All right, perfect. Well, then I guess my last living would be one Sir Paul McCartney. Actually, and I found this out recently. His real name is his first name is James, and Paul is his middle name. Wow! Yeah, I did not know that. I did not know that at all. That's pretty wild. James Paul McCartney. James McCartney. So we've all been calling him by his middle name this entire time. This is what he goes by. This is what he goes by. It's wild. It's wild. But no, dude. So, quick aside, I'm actually he is touring. I think it's called the Got Back concert. And I am going to go see him uh, this June in Baltimore. But for me, this selection was, this last selection was difficult. There was, I kind of wanted to run the gamut in terms of industries slash themes for my guests. And it was hard because Stevie Wonder is also one of my favorite artists. But I figure Paul McCartney might have a little less time in the world. So I want to (laughs) just go and get get him (laughs) out of the way first. That's fair. Um, But no, I mean, just... It's funny because music is something that stays with you throughout your life Mm -hmm. and it takes you back to a certain time. And I think that there's a study that suggests the music you listen to while you are 16 and 17 becomes kind of your base taste and everything else just evolved from there. But I was not a believer in the Beatles for the early part of my life. I think it wasn't until middle school that somebody just said, just listen to, to Let It Be. And I listened to Let It Be, and I said, oh, it was an all right song, whatever. And then I, w- I heard, because Across the Universe, the movie that kind of uh, includes the Beatles songs as the soundtrack, came out. And I heard this part of a song, and I said, what song is that? And it turns out it was the final chorus of Hey Jude. So I listened to Hey Jude, and I said, I understand now. And so ever since then, I've been into the the Beatles. And so Paul McCartney is my favorite Beatle. And it's funny because every time I listen to them, I get taken back to that time in my life. And so with so many memories, I would love to discuss that with them. And he's had an evolution in his career from the Beatles. 
He then went to, you know, Wings. He's gone solo and he's been doing it for, for so long. He's worked with so many artists like Stevie Wonder. He worked with mm-hmm. Michael Jackson and others. And so I just want to see what his life has been like because I was actually listening to another podcast and they said that for people like ourselves or somebody who's doing something right now, so we're having a conversation, but everybody who's listening around us is experiencing this thing. And so it's not, we aren't experiencing it in the same way that they're experiencing it. So for somebody like uh, Paul McCartney, who was part of the Beatles, the world experienced the Beatles, but the four of them didn't. They were just doing their own thing. And so they don't, they don't know kind of the hype until they see someone who actually is like, oh, you're, you're Paul McCartney. So I want to see what his life has been like because it also encompasses um, so many different years. And so they came to the, the U.S. for the first time in the 60s. And so he's seen such an evolution in music. And the funny thing is, I don't even think he, to this day, can really read music. He could just tell, oh, the notes are going up, so I'm playing a higher, you know, higher one. But uh, he just has a crazy story from this kid from, I guess, Liverpool to yeah. here we are today. So that would be so, so, so cool, so fascinating. I know that is a really good one because it's just kind of wild. Like Paul McCartney, you know, still kicking it, but like he's been through so many different eras of music. Like this is a guy who defined an era. And yep. has lived through so many others and is still alive now. And I'm like, I, yeah, questioning him on his life would be just a fascinating thing uh, to just like wonder, like, especially when, if you ask him like what he thinks of music these days, you know, like, you know, and is like in reflecting on past and like how music has evolved and like where he sees it going. That'd be like a really interesting Ooh. topic. Um, that is a good question there. I know I saw an interview, I think with when he was doing carpool karaoke with James Corden mm-hmm. And so he went to his original home, I believe it was, and somebody was living there, and they, of course, are going to let him in because it's Paul McCartney. Of so he plays some song on, yeah, of course, like, I don't know you personally, sir, but get into my house. And so um, he sat down, and I think he played a song on the piano, and by the time they go out, somebody had gotten word out that Paul McCartney was there, and dude, I kid you not, there was a huge crowd waiting for this man outside. And it's just, that's his life now, like, and it's been his life for the majority of it, so, I mean, that's got to be something something else to fame because he's when you look at him obviously he's a person but you look at the aura that is paul mccartney but i would love to peel that layer back and see who paul is too that'd be awesome that would be awesome yeah 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 so uh those are those are my three picks and i'm curious because you mentioned that there were some people that you were thinking about so i wanted to know who didn't quite make the list but who was on your short list for this dinner invite uh i um so there was timothy chalamet i wanted to probably yeah another T-Shall. another another in the film industry yeah um <laughs> i justin vernon uh boney bear um mm-hmm. thought so uh matt Berenger of the national would be fun okay uh, i think i said his, i don't know how to say his last name um uh for other people alive there's this uh, like game uh director i would really want to talk to uh his name is greg street uh, he is what game what game um well he is currently working at uh riot games and he was like uh, part of okay. the uh league of legends team but now he's heading up I literally yeah. well i mean that's like their big ip so obviously yeah, um yeah, yeah. but he's now heading up their uh, unannounced uh, mmo project and i'm just you know 
I am very interested in like game design as just like a hobby and I would just want to talk. I want to bounce ideas off of him. So like, I don't know, not no, me pitching ideas sense. for his game, but rather just kind of like talking <laughs> through the, the philosophy of game design and system design. And, um, and then inserting my, and idea. then inserting my <laughs> ideas because I have a lot, Greg, if you're listening, <laughs> um, but, Can you uh, hear me? <laughs> so, um. Yeah, those are like some of the other people I was thinking of. No, those are cool. I'll, see, and you can go so many different directions with this too, which makes it a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, among those, I guess for your your actual three, did you think so far down the line as to what food you would serve? Oh, I did not think that far down the line. I figured oh, that I wouldn't you? even take them. I wouldn't be cooking for them or anything. We would just go to like a, a nice restaurant, private booth in the back, kicking it with the boys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, and we a just little security detail. A little security detail. You know, Elon gets the bitch seat. <laughs> the high chair. The high chair. Um, <laughs> But it's yeah, I that and like I don't know. I didn't think even with I I just figured it would be at a nice restaurant. What kind of food it would be though? No idea. Probably something that has uh, a lot of options, so people can kind of get whatever Mm. they want, whatever they're comfortable with, and good cocktails. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that. Lubricate them so that everybody gets a little bit more talkative. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel that. Oh, I feel that. yeah. But oh, I was going to say, like, oh, there's also, but then I realized that person is no longer alive. So uh, I was about to spoil one of my <laughs> other three, but save that. For the next time. For the next time. For the next time. For the next time. But who else did you have on your list? Because now I'm curious. Like, uh, who who got cut? Okay. So I, I didn't do it for my top three, but I had some sports figures that I was interested in, in speaking to. So I had Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and Tiger Woods. Um, and I also have this one guy who most people probably have no idea who he is, but he's a two-time Olympic champion. His name is Christian Taylor. He's the triple jump or was, yeah, actually is no longer the reigning champion uh, because he got hurt. But that dude has inspired me time and time again. And so as a kid, like I, or as a young man, I wanted to emulate him. So I would love yeah. to just pick his brain because he is 31 now, but he's basically had a decade of dominance. He won Olympic gold when he was 22. He won the world championships when he was 21. And he's won four, four total world championships too. So he's just had years and years of dominance. And I just want to know what that was like for him, especially at such a young age. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I also then had <laughs> a couple a couple interesting ones. I had, and this is this used to be someone I really wanted to just talk to, especially after this past week. I just want to be like, so uh, what happened there? <laughs> Will Smith was <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> Will Smith. Willy, Willy, Will. Slick Willy. Uh, yeah, no. So he was on there. As was Dave Chappelle. I didn't have any comedians, but I am curious to see because I've seen him in stand-up. Oh, I'm curious to see what he's like in in real life. You know, is he the same? Hmm. It seems like he's pretty like level-headed and would be basically the same person. But I am curious, and I want to see like if he's witty, kind of on his feet. I think he, he just seems kind of like he, a lot of times he's just talking. The special is not really like cracking many jokes, but uh, want to see that. I know it can be controversial, hot take, but I am curious just to see what he's like. And then the final person I had, when this is a music person, but not the kind of music person you'd think, I wanted to talk to John Williams. 
Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was cool. like, he's he is ninety years old, dude. He I has know. scored so many of the like greatest films, and I'm just so curious as to how he takes nothing in his head, composes a whole beautiful song that's just like music, and then it adds to the character of the like. How does he? How does uh, he do yeah. it time and time again? I would also want to talk to Hans Zimmer. Uh, he's talked a little bit about like his like process where he usually like talks to like the director and like the director just like gives him like a couple bullet points it's like I know what you mean I know what you want but it's also (laughs) just like okay how and also too like he wrote so much music for Dune because he was like such a huge fan of the novels when he was a kid then he's like Mm -hmm. I needed to do this movie and even turned down his long working partner Christopher Nolan uh, to do Dune, um, so I'm like, yeah, like, did you like, I yeah, I always wonder how musicians kind of like come up with their music. Is it through experimentation? Is it like, mm-hmm. is it just something about the story or the themes of the book that like translates to kind of like what that music should sound like in your head? Which I can kind of get because, not that I am at all uh, a musician, <laughs> but I also can understand. Um, what kind of music you might want for a specific scene to set a mood because score is kind of like, I don't know, the language of a film in a way, like, yeah, the unsp- I don't know if that's even a good metaphor, but, um, if, because I don't know, is that a good metaphor? I would say that it's the language of the film because it's not the, the dialogue isn't the language of the film all the mm-hmm. time. It's, it's like it, because the language of the film is how the film is speaking to you, and the film speaks to you through a combination of on-screen images and the score. So, dude, just think about Jaws, like the t- with two notes, a villain was created. Yeah. Iconic. And when you heard that, you were just like, "What is happening? Yeah. No, get out of there!" It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, if if something can impart that kind of emotion into you, then it has great significance. And that's what music does in these, in these movies. Yeah. Music is important. And I know when we were talking about in our Oscars shows is that it is incredibly important. Uh, when you take the music out of the end of E.T., you just get an alien walking very, very slowly onto a spaceship. So. <laughs> Slow walking E.T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but, dude. But uh, that was that was my short list. And uh, no, I see. I like this too because I learned a little bit more about you there, bud. It is definitely a nice. good old icebreaker of a uh, yes, conversation yes. starter. It's always very insightful too. I think. Yeah. I think the people you pick and why you want to pick them, it does offer insight into the kind of person you are. So it is very insightful. Agreed. And uh, it was nice to know what your picks were, and even the ones that didn't make your short list. So hey, it tells you a little bit more. You? Tells you a little bit more about them. So. Absolutely. But if there's nothing else, Palmer, I think we can uh, wrap that up for the week. So thank that you works. so much for listening, everybody. We This has been the Watching Out Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Bud. Joined with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. You can catch our episodes every Monday or uh, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure you follow us on all social media, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, RSS feeds, I don't know. Uh, why don't you drop the social media links for them, Palmer, one more time. Oh. All right. Drop in the social media links. You can follow us on Instagram at whatchagotpodcast, what you spell W-H-A-T-C-H-A, or you can follow us on Twitter at whatchagotcast, what you spelled the same way. 
And with that, we also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe and see a visual if you want. They're not usually uploaded at the same time as the podcast. They're usually a couple days later. But be sure to subscribe. I'm trying to get the name out there. And until next week, see you all.